Thank you, praise team. Praise Amen. Amen. There's just some powerful, powerful truths. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hmm. Well, I think you ought to know the drill by now. Hold your Bible up, whether it's paper or whether it's on your phone, e-version or tree version, and say this out loud with me. This is my Bible. This is my Bible. It's God's holy word. It's God's holy word. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. So I boldly confess. My mind is renewed. My body is healed. I'm saved by God's grace. And live by His Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, glory. Father, I just thank You for Your anointing in this place. And Lord, in Jesus' name, every principality is broken and bound and cast out. Lord, I ask that my heart be open. I ask that our hearts be open to receive from you, Lord, what you want to give to us. And we give you the glory and we give you the praise in Christ's name. And we said, Amen. Praise God. I'm going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning. And if you'd been here on Wednesday nights, we went through a study, uh, seems like it's a week or two. Yeah, it's longer than that. We, we spent a lot of time going through a study on spirit, soul, and body. And there's, I mean, there is just so much. I mean, God, God used that. Realizing that we are, you know, we're, we're created in God's image. God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. You live in a physical body. And when God revealed it to me and allowed me to see that in His Word, and it's not just one little verse, it's all through the Word. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's all the way through it. This concept of you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. And when you get born again, it's your spirit that's born again. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Amen. Well, when you get saved, if you're 60 pounds overweight, you didn't suddenly lose that 60. Amen? <laughs> we have to do something with that. You know, we have to renew our own mind. And, and God used that to really teach me about, you know, I, I don't have to yield to sin. I don't have to fall to sin. Man, that's good. You don't have to be defeated. Amen? Amen. So, I, I, I'll, I'll do this. Because several of you have not been able to be here on those Wednesday nights. And I'm going to give you three points out of Romans chapter 8. 
And I'm, this is the introduction to my message. But I'm going to give you three points. And uh, what I want you to do is turn to somebody and say, I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. Because pastor's going to be real brief with this. Pastor's going to be real brief with this. <laughs> but you know, th- this is what God gives And there, there's a reason I'm sharing this. It's because... You know, God used this to teach me some things that, you know, you can live in victory over sin. You can live in victory over the devil. You can live, you know, a a life that is consistent in righteous living with God. Now, that doesn't mean I've always been perfect. I know that's a shock to some of you. But I I haven't always been perfect. You say, well, Pastor, what did you do? You're never going to know. Because whatever I did, I guarantee you, I, I turned to God real fast and I got it done to the blood. And the Lord says he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. If I told you, you'd tell everybody. Oh, we need to pray for pastor. Just sharing. No, I okay, let me, let, me, let, me, let me quit being whatever I'm being. Three points out of Romans chapter 8. Number one, you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. That's verse 5, Romans 8, 5. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit. The second thing, and I'm quoting from the King James because that's the one that I memorized, but you mortify the deeds of the body. You put to death the deeds of the body. And that's verse 13. And really all in the world that means is you just tell your flesh no when your flesh fleshly appetites want something and you know your, your, your flesh is saying to you oh but you could eat half of that chocolate cake my, my oldest sister's husband we used to go to family gatherings and my sister would like bake an apple pie or something like that he would literally take the entire pie and a fork and go sit down over somewhere and eat it when your flesh wants to do that, whether it's pie or something else, you just tell your flesh no. Now, that doesn't sound real spiritual, but it is. When you want to, you know, give somebody a piece of your mind, after you know, after you do that too often, you know, you don't have much left. <laughs> but, but when you want to do things like that, whatever flesh wants to do, you just tell your flesh no. And it doesn't feel spiritual, but it is. Somebody say amen. The third thing is this, and it's found in verses 26 and 27. And I'm not going to go into all of it, but basically it's just this. We need to pray. And we need to pray every day. And we need to pray until the Holy Ghost prays through us. Judy's daddy taught me when I first got saved and when I I first filled with the Holy Spirit... He said, Wilson, if you'll pray every day until the Holy Ghost prays through you, you'll never backslide. Boy, there's a thought for you to take home. Amen? So set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Turn from sin or or mortify the deeds of the body and continuously live a life of prayer. And those were the things that God had, had taught me and I've preached on that and I've preached it every way possible that I can think of. And 
God just kept dealing with me about read Romans chapter 8. Now, Lord, I know Romans chapter 8. How much of it you want me to quote? There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free of the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do was in that it was weak through the flesh. God sent in His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And the Lord said, Hush. I need you to read Romans chapter 8. So I started reading it again. There's more that I needed to get out of Romans chapter 8. You ever stop and think sometimes that there's something else God can teach you? I mean, God can teach you something else out of John 3.16. Amen? I think he can throw it up there now, but look at verses 15, and we're going to read 15 through 17. And I think I've got that in the NLT. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him father, dear father. Next verse. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we will share his treasures. Stop and think about that a second. We're his children. I mean, Christianity is the only thing on this planet, the only faith, the only, if you want to use the word religion, we're, we're, we're not just servants of the Lord. I mean, we're his children. He doesn't just say, oh, well, you know, you're my subjects. I'm, I'm going to rule over you. I'm going to control you. Matter of fact, he gives us free will because he wants us to love him. We're his children. And we will share his treasures. For everything God gives his son, Christ, is ours. Well, you got to think about that for a little while. Everything he gives his son Christ is ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Say that out loud with me. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Let's read it one more time. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Wow. Wow. You know, I heard just recently somebody saying, again, you know, there's some who've taught in the past that, you know, if you have enough faith, you just won't ever go through anything. I mean, you know, the poor Apostle Paul, he went through all this stuff because he was just learning. And now, of course, we're so smart you know, we've learned everything Paul's learned, so we don't have to go through bad things like Paul went through. You ever read through in Corinthians where Paul lists all the things he suffered and went through? I mean, he was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was beaten. I've forgotten how many times. 
all of these different things that happened to him. And plus that, you know, there was being cold and there was being, uh, you know, hungry and, and just all of the different things he went through. To say if you've got enough faith, you won't go through anything. That sounds real good. On trouble is it's just not biblical. Right. Amen. You know, I, it, it, God never promises that. The Bible tells us many are the afflictions of the righteous. But don't stop there. But he will deliver us from them all. Right. Amen. I ain't going to say that out loud together. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But he will deliver us from them all. Now let me help you with something. When he said deliver you from them all, what he really meant to say was he'll deliver you from them all. But brother God, sometimes people don't seem like they get delivered. I mean, it, no, see, we're looking at it from a human perspective. Matter of fact, I was reading one time. This isn't in my notes, but I'm going to share it anyway. I was reading where in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, you know, that's God's hall of faith, not hall of fame, hall of faith. And as you read through there, it, it, it goes to listing all these people and, and it's listing, man, they, they had, you know, uh, the, the mouths of lions were shut and, you know, they were delivered from the sword and they were delivered from this and they were delivered from that. And, and it's just listing all these glorious things and they, they overcame in battle and all of this stuff that was going on. And you're right, right in the middle of a verse and it just kind of gives you this pause and it said, but others were not delivered, but, you know, were, were stoned, were sawn asunder, in other words, cut up, and, just, and, and you're going, uh, excuse me, God, excuse, excuse me, uh, what, what happened to all this, you know, walked out of the fire and the lions didn't eat them, and, and, and you know, like with Peter, you know, you open the jail doors and you let them out. But in Hebrews 11, he said, but... There was a greater glory that was coming for them. See, we look at stuff from an earthly perspective. I believe in divine healing because it's Bible. I believe in deliverance from every demonic oppression, possession, from every demonic attack that could ever possibly come at you. God has a way of escape. But we are going to go through things in this present life. The battleground is now. I don't know how many times I've said it. There's a lot of people I think they're waiting until they get to heaven and they're going to put on the full armor of God. We're studying that on Wednesday night. And no, here, here they're going to be up in heaven walking around in all their combat gear, scarring up the golden streets with their combat boots and there's nobody to fight. We need that down here. We need God in the rotten here and now. Somebody say amen. amen. So yeah, there's going to be things that we're going to suffer. We're going to go through. But you know, if, you, if you wound up getting killed, you, know, you can't lose for winning. And I know I've said that over and over again. Somebody just needed to be reminded of it. Well, if we die, we step immediately into the presence of the Lord. Now, let me give you a couple of applications about suffering. 
I think it's in the context here that we will experience a certain suffering in our flesh as we buffet our bodies, as we crucify our flesh daily in order to live a godly life before God and men. There's a certain, if you want to call it suffering, that's involved with that. But I do believe that the context is sharing with us that there's going to be in the life that we live right here on planet Earth, in our present life, there's going to be trials. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be hardship. Peter said there's going to be perilous times. Jesus said there's going to be persecution in this present world. And he said, well, what, what kind of problems would maybe come at us? I, I mean, kind of give me a list here, Pastor. Well, let Scripture interpret Scripture. If you drop down to Romans 8.35, the portion that's in that verse just simply lists there's going to be trouble. There's going to be calamity. There's going to be persecution. There could be hunger. There could be, it uses the word destitute. That just means you could say lack of money, lack of resources, danger. But you know what? God gives us what we need to endure and go through. And y'all, there is no contradiction. There is healing. There is deliverance. There's God working on our behalf to free us and, and to set us free and God to protect us and keep us. Because again, it's in this life we're going to go through things. And you wouldn't need healing if there wasn't sickness. You wouldn't need deliverance if there wasn't trouble. Somebody say amen. So it's because of all that. You know, it's because bad stuff happens that God does good stuff. That's just real good theology right there. I like the way Paul says it. It's verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing. Compared to the glory he'll reveal to us later. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that we're going to live in later. I mean, I I don't know if this is a good example or not, but it's just what the Lord just kind of dropped into my spirit. I know. Anybody that checks their blood sugar, Judy does that ever so often. You have to prick your finger in order to get the blood out. Now, if, I don't know, you ever go to the doctor and they say, now are you allergic to anything? I look at them and say, yes, pain and needles. And they never listen to me. I, you know, but there, there's, and I know that, you talk about pricking your finger to get that blood for that sugar test. Uh, there's really nothing to that. But there is a certain amount of pain 
although it's very tiny, if we could possibly somehow realize that the worst thing, the worst pain, the most horrible circumstances that could ever happen to us, from God's perspective, it's about like pricking your finger compared to the glory that we're going to step into one day. <coughs> mm. You need to just kind of meditate on that for a little bit. There's no comparison. But what God shows us is that there's a greater hope that's coming for all of us who know Christ. Bring, bring up verse I want here. Just go ahead and start with verse 18. Quincy, please. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. Next verse. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Next one. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. I mean, that, that's literally all of God's creation, the inanimate creation that God has. Next one. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Next. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also groan to be released from pain and suffering, we too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he promised us. Next verse. Now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. Think one more. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. Now, you can go back and read the rest of that, that, that chapter later. The whole point is this. God is showing us that there's a hope that's coming. There's something better that's coming. And there's going to come a time when all of the curse of sin is going to be completely removed. There's going to come a time when there will never again be even a temptation to sin. There's coming a time when there won't be any more destructive storms. There's coming a time when there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. When the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. Where if you want to just pick up a rattlesnake and play with it and pet it, you can. There's a time coming. We're going to have immortal bodies just like Jesus had. And you know what? I don't really know. Does that mean we're going to be able to, you know, just walk through walls? Does that mean we're going to be able to appear into a room where it was locked if, if we needed to? You know, I, I don't know that, but this much I do know. 
There's going to be no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. We're going to live forever in the presence of our Father and the, the Son, Jesus Christ. Y'all, there's a glory that is coming. We can't even begin. We've had songs over centuries written about heaven and crossing over Jordan and where we're going to be and what it's going to be. And, and it's, we don't totally understand it, but the one thing I do understand is that it's better than anything we've ever seen and experienced. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like Peter. It was Peter that wrote, sometimes Paul writes things that are kind of hard to understand. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what Peter said. And you're thinking, oh, isn't there some kind of example in Scripture where we could kind of understand this? Yeah, it's in Matthew 17. I was thinking of reading that, but I, I don't think I'm, I'm going to read all of it. I'm just going to tell you. Jesus, you got to understand something. Jesus was continuously leaving His disciples you can read it over and over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus would leave His disciples and He would go off by Himself and they would go eat supper or do whatever it was they were doing. And Jesus would spend many, many times all night long in prayer. All night. And then the next day they'd go out and here'd be these miracles just happening over and over again. But Jesus went to be by himself and pray, except this time he took with him Peter and James and John. And he went up to this small hill called the Mount, but went up on this hill, left the rest of them, and here they are. And as Jesus begins to pray, I want you just to kind of picture this. You're up there, you're getting ready to have prayer meeting. Something if that happened here. You know, we get up here for a Monday night and we're getting ready to have a prayer meeting. And all of a sudden, the glory of God just descends. And I mean, the, the light of the glory, the manifest Shekinah glory of God fills the place. And, the, you know, I, I mean, the, the three disciples are there and Jesus. Literally. Now he's got a physical, absolutely normal, fleshly body, but there's no sin in him. There's no sin nature. And the presence of God comes upon him so powerfully that literally he begins to shine and radiate the glory of God. I don't know about you, man, that just does something. Of course, Peter, you know, Peter was always opening mouth and inserting foot. Sometimes I think he got both of them in there. And I think that was one of those times. That's just a sideline that, you know, Peter pipes up and he says, Lord, this is awesome. Because Moses and Elijah appeared there with him. But here's, here's this glorious thing going on. And Peter said, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to build some tabernacles. 
Uh, it, it hit me when I read that again. What in the world's Bible talking about tabernacles? Well, think shrine. What are these little memorial things that pop up everywhere where you know somebody gets killed or injured on the highway? And, but you know what? What were people doing in the pagan world? You know there was always a shrine to this one or to that one or whatever. Peter was trying to set up a religion. And God kind of set him straight and said, no, just my son's the one you need to worship. I'm paraphrasing that, but that's what it basically amounts to. But I want you to stop and think of this whole incident. Here's Jesus, the glory of God comes on him, and suddenly appearing is Elijah and Moses in physical form. And the more I began to read that, the more I began to realize, you know, I, I don't know about y'all, but I, I remember the Old Testament story. And here's, here's Moses. He spends 40 years of his life putting up with the children of Israel. With all of their goofiness, with all of the stuff going on, with all of the sin and, and all of the setbacks. And what should have been a journey that wouldn't have taken more than a week. He spent 40 years going around and around the mountain until finally they come to the Jordan River and Moses is so exasperated with the whole bunch of them that he kind of does stuff wrong and he disobeys God. And then God says, well, you're not going in with them. And so it's, it's you know, Joshua that leads me. And I thought, God, that's just not fair. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Until one day it hit me. Yeah, he did. This is right outside of Jerusalem where this is taking place. And there with Jesus in the heart of the promised land, in the city of David, is Moses. He did get to go in to the promised land. He did get to see the deliverance of the nation of Israel and the world. Jesus the Messiah. And he got to see it in a way that, I mean, Joshua and them saw the glory of God as, as they won battles and the walls of Jericho fell. But Moses got to see it from the Shekinah glory of God that you can only see in heaven. Moses got to enter in. Well, here's my whole point, y'all. We're, we're going to go through suffering. We're going to go through trials. There's no telling. And I know you say, well, now you're getting political. No, I'm not. This is Bible. Y'all, there's stuff that's going to happen between now and the time the rapture takes place. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, you know different things that are going to transpire in this world. We just know that there is an antichrist spirit. And we know that there's an antichrist system that is being set up and established. This world is headed towards a one world government. That Satan wants to try to set up, but God's just simply going to let there be this period of time where, where all of these things transpire, and then God's going to ship his saddle home, and that rodeo's over with. And it's done. But we're going to suffer some things. If it's just persecution, if it's just being mistreated, if it's just, you know, being lied about if it's it, 
You know, but yeah, there, there's no way Satan's going to attack people with sickness. Satan's attacking people with, with worry and anxiety and with fear. But y'all, God is saying to us, there's no comparison because there's a glory that we're going to walk in and there's a glory that He's got for us. It's a greater glory than we could ever imagine and we're going to step into it. There's going to come a time when we're, we're going to be able to experience what evidently Moses had experienced and it's going to be powerful. I don't know about you, but I think God's trying to get it across to us. Don't be looking at just stuff. Look ahead to what's coming. I'm just going to put it this way. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then can condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, For your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stand with me, will you please? Hallelujah. This is my altar call this morning. Romans 8 does start off saying, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If there's guilt, if there's condemnation in your heart over anything, in other words, if there's sin in your life and you need to get it under the blood, which just simply means turning it to Christ in repentance, This altar call is for you. Secondly, if you're going through struggles, listen to me. If you're going through trials, if there's suffering, that can mean physical, it can mean emotional, 
it, whatever is taking place in your life, Satan wants you to lose hope. If you're going through struggles, this altar calls for you. And maybe you're just have just say, Lord, I just need to know you love me. And he just told you nothing can separate you from his love. And you just need his presence and you need his love in a tangible way. This altar calls for you. As she begins to play, I want you to just come. I want you to come to this altar. You can kneel, you can stand. I want to pray with you. And I promise you, God's going to meet you right here. Whatever you need is, it's